Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity's true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. What do we hope to accomplish by giving people evidence for Christianity, ladies and gentlemen? Why do what we call apologetics, which doesn't mean you're apologizing, it means you're giving defense or you're giving evidence for what you believe. Why do we do that? I mean, is evidence always the issue? Is it ever the issue? Well, I'd have to say, yes, it is the issue on occasion. Evidence is the issue. Some people really are looking for the truth. I came to faith through evidence largely. Uh, I wanted to know if it was true or not. And many people do want to know if it's true or not. But so many people aren't really concerned with evidence, it seems to me. In fact, some people want to even reject the evidence to go their own way. And so I'd like to talk about on this program when reason isn't the reason for unbelief. When reason isn't the reason for unbelief. Famous uh, atheist, well, he might not be super famous, but you may have heard his name. His name is Thomas Nagel. He teaches at New York University. And uh, he wrote a book a few years back called Mind and Cosmos. And uh, the subtitle of this book sent the atheistic world into a tizzy because Thomas Nagel is an atheist himself. But his subtitle went something like this. I don't have it in front of me right now, but it went something like, Why the Neo-Darwinian materialistic view of the universe is almost certainly false, or view of reality is almost certainly false. In other words, Nagel, being an atheist, was saying, look, the materialistic atheistic viewpoint seems certainly false to me. Now, he's, he's not a Christian. He's, he's, and he, he's still an atheist. He's just trying to find another solution to reality that isn't materialism but doesn't point to a god doesn't point to a theistic being and nagel in 1997 wrote a book uh, in which he said it's not just that i'm an atheist uh, and think that that's true i'm paraphrasing again but he went on to say uh he went on to say well let me let me read exactly what he said because I don't want to misquote him. And I have this in the book, Stealing from God. This is from the chapter on morality. Nagel said this, I want atheism to be true, and I am made uneasy. You hear that? I want atheism to be true, and I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be that way. My guess is that the cosmic authority problem, this cosmic authority problem, is not a rare condition. And that it is responsible for much of the scientism and reductionism of our time. Now, cosmic authority problem, what does he mean by that? He admits he has a cosmic authority problem, meaning he doesn't want there to be a God. Because that would prevent him from doing his own thing. He doesn't want to have an authority over himself. He wants to be the authority. 
You remember a number of programs ago I used a metaphor about a compass. Imagine you go out into the wilderness on a long hike and your iPhone goes dead, all your navigation equipment goes dead, and you're lost. And the only way to get back is to follow a magnetic compass that you have in your pocket. So you take out your magnetic compass. But instead of the compass pointing to magnetic north, the arrow, the compass, always points to you. How helpful would that compass be? Not very helpful at all. The problem is, is we seem to think that the compass must always point to us. Christians and non-Christians think this. We think that we're the source of truth. We're the source of righteousness. We're the source of morality. Whatever we want is the way things should be and the way things are. But think about this, friends. We were all brought into the world relatively recently, and we're going to go out of this world pretty soon and truth existed before you me or anyone else existed and it will exist after we're gone from this earth we are not the determiners of truth we discover truth we don't determine it we discover it the problem is while we often are truth seekers we are also truth suppressors especially when the truth is inconvenient to us It wasn't just Nagel who said he wanted to be an atheist and he didn't want there to be a God. You may have heard the name Thomas or Aldous Huxley, I should say. Here's what Huxley said. He was an atheist and he didn't want the world to have meaning. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have uh, a meaning. For myself, as no doubt most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation. From a certain system of morality, we objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. There it is, sexual freedom. He said, he went on to say, we are justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt. Erotic revolt. We don't want there to be a God because God's going to bring a certain sexual morality with him. And we are in revolt to that sexual morality. We are in a erotic revolt. Christopher Hitchens said this uh, when he was talking about the God of Christianity. He said, oh, God is like a cosmic North Korean dictator peering in on our sex lives. For Hitchens, it seemed to me his issue wasn't intellectual. His issue was moral. He didn't want there to be a moral authority beyond himself, particularly when it comes to sex. Now, he was a brilliant guy, and I thought that was a pretty powerful imagery to depict God as a cosmic North Korean dictator. But he really was just mad at God. He didn't want there to be a God. In fact, he didn't call himself an atheist. He called himself an anti-theist, just like Lawrence Krauss does today. Now, does that sound like somebody who's open to the evidence? It's not like he, it's not like he said, I just lack a belief in God, or I, I think there's no God. He said... He's an anti-God person. He's an anti-theist. He doesn't want there to be a God. He's against God, the whole concept of God. And if you read his book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. First of all, the book, the title screams out contempt. First of all, the God, the word God is not capitalized and he's not great how religion poisons everything. He's just, he seems to be mad at God. His brother, Peter Hitchens, who is a Christian, put it this way. First of all, the book should not be called God is not great. Why? 
because, first of all, the book is filled with evil things that religious people have done. So much of what Christopher, Christopher says in the book is true. But the reason the book should not be called God is not great, as Peter Hitchens said, is because the book is filled with things man have done, has, has done wrong, not God. The book should be called man is not great, not God is not great. And if it's called man is not great, it's actually admitting what Christians agree on. That man is not great morally. That's our problem. We don't live up to the moral standards we, 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 we know we ought to live up to. In fact, atheists will admit they don't even live up to their own standards. I don't live up to the, the Christian standard. Of course, if I could, I wouldn't need a savior. In fact, in the second debate, I said, look, with Christopher Hitchens, I said, Christopher, I'm a hypocrite. I can't live up to what Christianity tells me to do or what the Bible tells me to do. But if I could, I wouldn't need a savior. So when people say I can't go to church because there's too many hypocrites down there, I always say, come on down, pal. We got room for one more. We're all hypocrites. Of course we're hypocrites. If we weren't hypocrites, we wouldn't need a savior. We're fallen. In fact, you ask anybody, I don't care who they are, atheist, Christian, anyone in between, if you ask this question, what's wrong with the world, none of those people are going to say nothing. Everybody's going to say, yeah, there's something wrong with the world. And what's really wrong with the world is our own behavior. The problem is we don't want to fess up to that. We don't want to admit that. That's why we suppress the truth to go our own way. Because reason isn't the reason many of us are not believers. It's morality. It's freedom. It's a cosmic authority problem. And we're going to cover more of this when we come back from the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Hey, I'm in Ohio State or at Ohio State University Tuesday and Wednesday. More details after the break. Don't go away. I'm back in just two minutes. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of the American Family Association and American Family Radio. We're going to Israel in March, March 9th through the 17th. We'll be going to the land of the Bible, the Holy Land. We'll be seeing so many places every day. Uh, the days are just full of things you've read about in the Bible. And one of the things I enjoy about our trip is wearing people out. And we'll be wearing folks out during our trip of Israel because I know that when folks pay to go to Israel, they want to see it all and we'll be seeing it all, including Bethlehem, Jericho, Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, Nazareth, and much, much more. Won't you join us on this special tour of Israel in March? For more information, just call us and we'll send you a brochure at 800-FAMILIES, 800-FAMILIES, option 5, or go on the web at twholyland.com. That's twholyland.com. Millions of years, it's a pagan religion. This is Ken Ham, editor of the popular creation apologetics magazine, Answers. Many Christians have accepted millions of years and tried to squeeze them into Genesis. But what they're doing is mixing a pagan religion with God's word. You see, the idea of millions of years didn't come from the rock layers. They originally came from a number of men who rejected the truth of God's word. Without the flood of Noah's day, they needed a different way to explain Earth's history. Millions of years of slow processes was a result. Today, millions of years in evolution are used as an excuse for not needing a creator. They're nothing more than elements of a pagan religion. Christians shouldn't mix God's word with man's sinful ideas. We must trust God's word from the beginning. Visit AnswersRadio.com to view a transcript of this program. 
You can also learn more about trusting God's Word from the very beginning at AnswersRadio.com. When reason isn't the reason for unbelief. That's our topic today, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Cross Examined with Frank Turek and American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. I did mention just before the break, I'm going to be at Ohio State University this week on Tuesday night and Wednesday night. We're talking about stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case. One night we're going to be talking about if there is a good God, why is there evil in the world? And I'll make the case that evil does not disprove God. Evil actually disproves atheism. The next night, or I don't know which night we're going to do what, but the second night we're also going to be talking about stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case. And we're going to be talking about science in that one. Science. Uh, why actually science needs God. It's so often said, oh, science is uh, somehow against God or against religion or against Christianity. The exact opposite is true. Science is actually against atheism. (laughs) And we'll talk about that, why science needs God. And science doesn't say anything scientists do. That's this. What are the dates? Let me get the dates right. That's this uh, November 1, November 2, this Tuesday and Wednesday night at Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Hope to see you there at the Ohio State University. All right, let's go back to our topic when reason isn't the reason for unbelief. Uh, Pascal said something very profound, as he always did. He said, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Are we just believing something because we find it attractive? By the way, this sword cuts both ways. Don't just blame the atheist for this one. Or don't just say this just applies to atheists. It it, it applies to Christians, too. Are Christians just believing in Christianity because they find it attractive? That someday they're going to be with Jesus and their loved ones, and right right now God is looking over them, and, you know, this is all comfortable and all. Is Is that the only reason you believe it's true? Or are you an atheist and are you believing what you believe just because you like the idea that there's no authority over you and you get to do what you want? In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. That's from Romans chapter 1, one of the most relevant passages in the entire Bible regarding the culture today and what what our psyche is with regard to truth. In fact, this is timeless. It's not just our culture today. We suppress the truth to go our own way. We don't want there to be a God. We know there's a God. God has made it plain to us through creation and conscience that there has to be a creator God and a moral being. Uh, But we suppress that. Why? Because we want to go our own way. Now, here's where I differ with my Reformed friends on this, my five-point Calvinist friends who tries to, you know, they try to say we're dead in trespass and sin and we can't know anything. Nonsense. Of course you can know things. Of course you can know about God. In order to suppress the truth, you have to have it. You can't suppress the truth if you don't have it. So people are are suppressing the truth about God to go their own way. And if you continue to read in Romans chapter 1, you realize that people by the end of this, they're not only doing evil things, they're cheering other people on who are doing evil things. Now, you may get to a point after God gives you up, because that's what this passage ultimately talks about, you may get to a point where you don't even know God exists anymore because God has given you up to your own desires. You've suppressed it so long that God has said, fine, that's it, I'm giving you up. You're going to go your own way. That's a loving thing to do. I'm going to leave you alone because you don't want me, and I know you don't want me. 
So I'm going to leave you alone. But everyone initially starts out knowing intellectually there's a God, but we suppress the truth because God gets in our way. In fact, Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. We want to go our own way. We don't want there to be a God because we want to be God. You see, we're not on a happy, we're not on a truth quest. We're on a happiness quest. And we're going to believe whatever we think, whatever we think is going to make us happy. Here's the problem. Over the short term, you can do a lot of stupid, sinful things that will make you happy. But over the long term, it's a disaster. And everybody over 40 years old knows what I'm talking about because you've probably tried it yourself. So are you on a truth quest or a happiness quest? What is it? Who's the real? What's the real problem with unbelief? Is it reason? Well, sometimes it is. That's why we give evidence. But a lot of times it has nothing to do with reason. It has everything to do with our pride. Because we don't want there to be a God. We want to be God. C.S. Lewis famously said in Mere Christianity, he said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. By the way, pride is why we call our sins mistakes. You ever notice that? We call them mistakes. I made a mistake. You know, somebody, I mean, (laughs) somebody cheats on his wife or uh, commits adultery or uh, somebody somebody cheats on their taxes or somebody uh, assaults somebody else. Somebody does it over and over again. They call it a mistake. I regret my mistakes. You know, I've made a, I've made mistakes. Nobody's perfect. No, a mistake is when you add up your checkbook wrong. A sin is a deliberate, a deliberate act to disobey what you know you should do. Or a, a deliberate act to do something evil. They're not mistakes. Well, they are mistakes, but they're more than mistakes. They're sins. And we don't like to call them sins because we don't want to be called sinners. We want to be called mistakers. And we make excuses when we make a quote-unquote mistake. C.S. Lewis again, he said, The truth is we believe in decency so much, we feel the rule of law pressing on us so that we cannot bear to face the fact that we are breaking it, and consequently we try and shift the responsibility. For you notice... That it is only for our bad behavior we find all these explanations, unquote. Yeah, we never find explanations outside ourselves when we do something meritorious, right? It's always us doing it when it's meritorious. It's always some other reason when we do something evil or wrong that really caused it. We're always trying to shift the responsibility to somebody else. Now, you can see this no, in, in no clearer way than in politics. Do you think the current presidential campaigns are interested in the total truth? Of course they're not. They call the place, they do the post-debate interviews, the spin room for a reason, right? They're spinning stuff. Now you've got just you know, yesterday, now they're reopening the, the uh, case against uh, Hillary Clinton and the FBI emails. I mean, she came out uh, yesterday and said, well, why don't you just tell us what what you found? Well, she probably already knows what they found. (laughs) She could tell us if she wanted to. (sighs) And, of course, look, on both sides, they don't want the total truth out there. 
They don't want the total truth about either of them out there or all the candidates. They don't, the candidates don't want all the truth out there. They're trying to spin things and send things, put things in the most favorable light. See, the truth is dangerous. Yet the truth will prove to be the most important thing to every human being, ultimately. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And he's the truth. Well, if the truth will set you free, the implication is if you don't have the truth, you're in bondage. Indeed, you are. You're in bondage. Okay, so why do I say all this? Because reason isn't always the reason why people aren't Christians. In fact, I'd say probably a minority of the time, reason is the issue. A majority of the time, it's not the head, it's the heart. People want to go their own way, and they don't want God getting in the way. Or getting in their way. This is why you have to ask the question that I've said many times on this program before. And I'll use it at Ohio State this weekend. Or this week, I should say, November 1st and 2nd at Ohio State University. The atheists... Give, give me pushback during the Q&A, which I welcome. But if they get a little hostile, I'm going to ask them this question. And this is the question you ought to ask anybody who's a non-Christian. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Or you could put it this way. If Christianity were true, would you follow Jesus and his teachings and his commands? Because if the person hesitates or says no, the problem is not in their head. The problem's in their heart. They don't want it to be true. So you might as well just cut right to the chase And ask them directly, if it were true, would you become a Christian? Now think about the people you know who are not Christians. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're listening right now and you're just checking this out. I appreciate you listening. But let me ask you, if it were true, would you become a Christian? Really, if it were true. And the people you know who are not Christians, are they on a relentless pursuit of truth? Or are they apathetic or maybe even hostile to Christianity? What's the real issue here? I submit to you, most of the people I know who are not Christians, they're not on a relentless pursuit of truth. They're either apathetic or hostile to Christianity. They don't know, and they don't really care either. Or if they do care, they're just hostile. They don't want it to be true. Why would people get so upset over whether God exists or not? Because there's so many implications that flow from God existing or not existing that are personally relevant to people. If God exists, we live a certain way. There is a real purpose to life, and we ought to live a certain way. If no God exists, there's no right way to live. Why? Why? Because there's no purpose to life. If there's no purpose to life, there's no right way to live it. You can do whatever you want. Even Paul said, if the resurrection isn't so, if God doesn't exist, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. So think about the people you know. What's the real issue? Is reason really the reason for unbelief? Sometimes it is. Majority of the time, it's probably not. So you have to give evidence when appropriate. But if evidence isn't the issue, you're you're wasting your time. Well, you might be able to plant a few seeds that will sprout later. But you need to ask people, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian and see what happens? Now, I just came across an article this morning by Matt Walsh. You guys know who Matt Walsh is? He's a Christian blogger, a young guy who's pretty, uh, he's, 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 he cuts right to the point. Let me put it that way. He doesn't beat around the bush. If you're a a soft kind of bring me there gently type of person, you're not going to like Matt Walsh because he's a blowtorch. Okay. He just says it like he thinks it is. 
And he's got an article this morning. I guess it came out yesterday. Or what's today? Two days ago. Uh, the the uh, column is called Dear Christians. It doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what the Bible says. Dear Christians, it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what the Bible says. And he goes on to talk about uh, a woman I had never heard of, but her name is Jen Hatmaker. She's a prominent Christian author and speaker. And here's what Matt says. He says, my wife tells me she had a show on HGTV for a while. These days, she's apparently moved away from renovating homes to renovating scripture. Because she goes on to say that gay marriage is a good thing. Same-sex marriage is a good thing, and it's holy. And Matt goes on to cite an interview she just had about this and quotes her on it. And then he responds. And after the break, uh, we'll talk about that and maybe get to your phone calls, I hope, anyway. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. And uh, check that out there. And also check out the calendar. I'll be at Ohio State uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and I'm back here in two minutes. Planned Parenthood clinics have become more like U-Pull auto part dealers than health clinics for women. It's a very clear illustration of what our culture demands right now, and that is the leadership of the church rolling up its sleeves, getting into our communities. Advancing faith, family, and freedom in public policy and culture from a Christian worldview. Washington Watch Daily with Tony Perkins. Weekdays at 4 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. One of the leading indicators of a community in crisis is the breakup of the family. I think it's a very clear illustration of what our culture demands right now, and that is the leadership of the church rolling up its sleeves, getting into our communities. Hear the latest from Washington from a Christian, conservative worldview. Washington Watch Weekly with Tony Perkins. Saturdays at 6 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. The Tide Radio Ministry is celebrating 69 years of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm Don Shank, Director of The Tide, and this is today's Global Update. Reflecting on the past 69 years of the Tide ministry, we marvel at how God took a vision for a local radio ministry, reaching one small town, and transformed it into a global outreach that's bringing people around the world into relationship with Him. Our work now includes discipleship activities and radio programs in 23 languages. Three of those languages were just added this year, and already they're making a difference in the lives of many people like Marco, who says our latest Albanian language radio program is a blessing for him. He wrote, I can learn a lot of things about God and how to live according to His Word. I see how my life is changing because of this program. To learn more about the Tide ministry and help us share the gospel with more people like Marco, visit thetide.org. That's thetide.org. Five eight nine eighty eight forty triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty. If you'd like to join the program, we're talking about when reason isn't the reason for unbelief. And our website's crossexamined.org. I'm Frank Turek, and the program is called Crossexamined with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. I was talking about uh, an article Matt Walsh has just written a couple of days ago called "Dear Christians, It Doesn't Matter How You Feel, It Matters What the Bible Says," and. Uh, Anyway, he goes on to say that this uh, woman, uh, as I say, I haven't heard of her, Jen Hatmaker. I did look at the interview she did, and she did say what Matt Walsh 
says, she said, um, she's renovating scripture because she thinks that somehow same-sex marriage is a good thing. And she said, or he said, uh, Matt Walsh said, that's a problem because unlike an old ranch-style house with ugly carpets and 1970s wallpaper, God's holy word doesn't need any updates. It's eternal, unchanging, and always right no matter how we happen to feel about it. He goes on to quote her, this Jen Hatmaker woman, who says, uh, when asked about gay marriage, Hatmaker declared that homosexuals have the right to marry members of the same sex. She said our churches should offer support and instruction to those in gay marriages. In other words, she believes that churches should not only accept the abomination of gay marriage, but actively facilitate it. When asked if she should attend a gay wedding or would attend a gay wedding, she said she'd be there with gladness, ready to pop the champagne and celebrate their sin with them. She said that if her own child turned out to be quote-unquote gay, she would want him to enter a faithful, committed marriage with another man. And in a final act of heresy, she announced that gay sexual relationships are quote, holy, unquote. This is what Matt Walsh says about Jen Hatmaker's position. Now, is reason really the reason here that Jen is saying these things? Um, He goes on to give a number of scriptures Matt Walsh does in this article. It's a very long article. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can look it up yourselves. And uh, he goes on to say, uh, after she calls gay relationships holy, which means divine, uh, the apostle Paul did not call them that. He goes on and explain what Paul says. And uh, he goes, Matt Walsh says, goes on to say, as Christians, we are left to ponder who is the great authority here, the Apostle Paul, Paul or the lady from HGTV. <laughs> and he can, Matt Walsh says this. Now, you may struggle with the biblical teaching on homosexuality just as you may struggle with any other teaching. You may not understand it. You may find it harsh and difficult and emotionally distressing. But before we even get into explaining why the Bible says what it says, all we really need to establish is that it does say it, period. We are commanded by God to accept this teaching or risk losing our souls. It's not an option. We are required to follow Christ only in the areas where we find mutual agreement with him. All right, let me go on to say that again. I, I didn't say that right. We are not required to follow Christ only in the areas where we can find mutual agreement with him. Our consent and agreement does not matter at all, not one tiny bit. We are called to follow regardless. That's what it means to love God. If Mrs. Hatmaker finds herself grappling with doubt and uncertainty about this teaching or any other, she should pray about it, consult her pastor, read scripture, read Christian apologetics on the topic, pray some more, and then pray again. She should all do this in, in, in private. speaking only with close Christian friends and mentors who may be able to help her sort through it. But what she should not do, what she absolutely cannot do, is stand in front of the whole whole world and declare these teachings moot just because she finds them distasteful. How she feels about them personally is of no consequence. She is not God. Her thoughts and feelings don't become reality just because they entered her head. Obedience is not emphasized in churches very often these days, but it should be. Obedience to God means following him, standing by him, affirming his teachings at all times. Even when we struggle to understand them, we are commanded to submit to God. Submit, that means give in to his word, his law, no matter how it makes us feel. He then goes on to explain some natural law reasons why same-sex relationships are problematic. 
And then he goes on and says this. This is Matt Walsh again. I'm, I'm just picking from the article. I can't read the whole thing. He goes on and says, now, there are many aspects of the faith that I find challenging and mysterious. Personally, for me, this isn't one of them, meaning homosexual relationships. It seems... It all seems quite sensible and utterly consistent with the innate moral intuition that all human beings possess. But even if I couldn't see the logic in biblical marriage, and even if I couldn't into it based on natural law, it would still be just as true, and I would be called to affirm it and, profe- uh, and profess it all the same. There are many concepts that my puny little brain can't seem to wrap itself around. But that's why I must lean on God's understanding, not mine, and certainly not Jen Hatmaker's. So I should ask Ms. Hatmaker what she believes has happened in the past few years that all of the sudden changes to the fundamental uh, or what has happened in the last few years that all of a sudden changes the, that all of a sudden changes the fundamental nature of marriage. What exactly have we learned in our modern and enlightened state that even Jesus Christ did not know? What is the truth that we've discovered that debunks the truth given to us by God Almighty? Yes, a lot of us have icky feelings about biblical sexual morality, but feelings aren't the truth. Of course, I'm being a bit flippant. Nothing has happened and nothing ever will happen to debunk or disprove God's truth. All that can happen is that we, in our weakness and stupidity, become blinded to it. And if we are blind, then we should pray to have our eyes open. But until that happens, all we can do is follow God's voice in the darkness wherever it leads. That, we should always remember, is the very essence of faith. Matt Walsh, ladies and gentlemen, his title uh, of his blog is called Dear Christians, It Doesn't Matter How You Feel, It Matters What the Bible Says. And that is actually on the Blaze website, the Blaze. So you can look that up if you're interested. He goes into a lot more detail than I did there. But again, this gets back to the question when reason isn't the reason. When we're following our feelings rather than reason... That's a problem. You go, well, how do you know the Bible's true? Well, we use reason to establish that. At least that's one way to do it. That's what we've been talking about so much on this program and what our book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, does and the new book, Stealing from God, does. We give evidence that Christianity's true and that the Bible's true. Well, if the Bible's true, if you establish the Bible is true through reason, which you can do, then you, when you know it's God's word, then you follow it, even in areas you don't understand. And by the way, um, Matt Walsh is not quoting from the Old Testament in this book. He's quoting from the New Testament because the New Testament is God's revelation to the world. And you don't even need the New Testament to know that certain sexual relationships are not in line with God's design. In fact, our founders called such relationships against nature, natural law arguments. But regardless of that, I understand the sentiment. Because you want what's best for people and you think giving people what they want is what's best for them. That's not always the case, though, is it? As parents, we know if we give our children everything they want, that doesn't mean that we're loving parents. It probably means we're unloving parents because we have to say no to things that will hurt them. And you can make a good case that certain sexual relationships are hurtful. Most sexual relationships are hurtful. Sex is not just a physical event, as we've spoken about many times before. If it was, if somebody raped you, it would be no different than if somebody just sexually assaulted you or if someone just physically assaulted you. But there's something more. There's something worse about rape than just physical assault because sex isn't just physical. It is physical, but it's also psychological, emotional, spiritual, moral. There's so much more to sex than just the physical, yet that's what our culture just wants to say. It's just a physical thing. 
But we don't want to follow God. We want to follow ourselves. We don't want there to be a God. We have a cosmic authority problem. We want to do our own thing. We need to acknowledge this, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just unbelievers. It's us. We want to follow our own way, not God's way. So what are we to do when we have a disagreement between us and God? (laughs) I think we're supposed to side with God, ladies and gentlemen. When reason isn't the reason for unbelief, we need to be very clear that we need to get back to reason rather than just our own desires. All right, 888-589-8840, 888 if you want to join the, uh, the program. And uh, one thing you might want to ask yourself, the people that you know, and maybe you could share this on the air because we're going to get your phone calls right now, the people you know who are not Christians – Is it because they don't have evidence that Christianity is true, or is it because they don't want Christianity to be true? Are they open? Are they seeking? Or are they apathetic or even hostile? Call in. Let me know. 888-589-8840-888-589-8840. And if they are apathetic or hostile, how how do you try and reach them? Good question. Let's start with Roy in Flower Mound, Texas, not far from Dallas, Texas. Roy, you're on with Frank Turek. Go right ahead. Yes, sir. I call. I'm not calling about the subject today. I wanted to share my testimony of what God has done in my life. I've well, Roy, um, I'd, I'd love testimonies, but we're trying to stay on topic today. So if you can make it one minute, that'll be fine, but no longer. Go. Okay, Polish and Italian raised Catholic in Chicago, parents divorced, oh. mother and grandmother introduced me to witchcraft, tarot cards, and sand. From three and a half years of age, early 20s, active in the church, went out there, Billy Graham, but I didn't pray, went back to my priest, talked to him, come on at the end Heard about the Christian Businessmen's Committee of Chicago. They went down there. They gave a gospel mm-hmm. tract. They said, have you ever asked Jesus your heart? No, I'm Catholic. What are you talking about? So they showed me the New Testament. <laughs> Would you like to pray now? I said, yes. Those are the last audible words I could speak. I couldn't make another sound. They prayed around me, and I felt the sensation come over this thing. Let me let go of my throat. I was able to pray. Jesus, come into heart of heart life and sin. After that, the Lord led me to a chapel on north side of Chicago, praying aloud a woman's church. I know where he gets some help. We drove from Chicago to Warsaw, Indiana. It's 125 miles east of Chicago. The minister had his people praying open the Old Testament of Deuteronomy 18.10, where God told Israel not to talk about witchcraft. He led me in this prayer. I said, Satan, I opened the door to my life. You're an ignorance, and now I close it. That's God to forgive me. He took his hand and commanded to go in Jesus' name. And when I said, go in Jesus' name, I felt like weights lifted off my shoulders. I felt it lift, and I see my face actually change after 23 years of witchcraft and religion. Thank you much. That's beautiful, Roy. I, I love a man who can get to the point. Now, this is amazing. What's going to happen now for people who watch or listen to this program via podcast, this is going to be the one time they're actually going to slow the podcast down to hear that amazing testimony from Roy. Thanks so much, Roy. Let me go on to Tanner in Dallas, Texas. Tanner, you're on with Frank Turk. Go right ahead. Hey, Dr. Turk. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, uh, you're speaking on reason today, and just wanted to kind of give you, uh, you know, had a debate with uh, an atheist, friend of mine, and we were talking about objective morality. He said that it didn't exist. We come, we use reason to come to that. So I thought for a second, you know, because he just basically hijacked reason. Mm-hmm. I said, well, if you come to it, then that means it exists. Not all mm-hmm. bra- I mean, if every brain thinks with the ability to reason and they come to the same conclusion, you've just come to something that already exists. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you are. You what, are... What, what are your thoughts? Well, you're correctly pointing out the error that many atheists make. They want to talk about how we know ultimate right from wrong, objective right and wrong. And you 
and I are trying to ask them, why does this standard of rightness exist in the first place? See, that's the dis- the distinction they always fail to see. They're arguing about epistemology, and we're talking about ontology. Why does this standard of rightness exist? Hang on, Tanner. We'll come back to you after the break. Don't don't go away. You're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. Back in two. Have you recently felt like your prayers went unanswered? Like God wasn't even listening? God hears all prayers and may be telling you something that you're simply not hearing. Could there be active sin in your life that he wants to address? Might he be saying no or not now to your request because he has something better? Is it possible that you're praying for your will to be done instead of his? These are all potential reasons, but the real place to start is your relationship with Jesus. We're all sinners in need of forgiveness. That should be our first prayer, seeking forgiveness of our sins and an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is where our relationship with God changes. Have you truly accepted that invitation and prayed for Jesus to be first in your life? If you want to talk about what that means and how to invite Jesus into your heart, then call us at 888-NEED-HIM or you can go online and chat with us at chataboutjesus.com. Here for your encouragement and your walk with God. This is David Wolin with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Ever wonder what it would be like to be royalty, to be born into privilege and status? It's on my brain today because my youngest, who is three years old, told me this morning that she is the princess and I am the king. Now that's a game a lot of little girls like to play, but I had to chuckle because she's hit closer to the mark than she realizes. Anyone who follows Jesus, the Bible says, is an heir to royalty. Romans 8, 17, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. So weigh that promise against whatever temporary burdens you might be carrying today. And remember, your future in Christ is certain. Get more daily encouragement with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com. Isn't the reason for unbelief. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk of the American Family Radio Network. Hey, during the break, I just happened to call up the Drudge Report. By the way, whenever I want to be convinced that the universe is going to end this week, I always go to the Drudge Report because you look at the thing and you go, this is crazy. What's going on in this world? Anyway, there's a headline, and I just scanned the article. I haven't had time to go into it. You can look it uh, up yourself. You know, the headline is about this whole email scandal, and now the FBI is looking into Mrs. Clinton's emails again. And uh, it says, Campaign Rock by FBI, Dem Democrat Fury, why now? Lynch moved to spike. Now, Lynch, uh, 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 this is uh, Loretta Lynch, the Attorney General of the United States. Lynch didn't want this to come out. Now, this just, if this is true, and again, I've just scanned the article, so you'll have to investigate the article yourself. This is an example of exactly what I'm saying here. Lynch moved to spike. If, if it's true, why would you want to spike it? Is she saying it's not true? The article that I just scanned, I, I didn't go in, over it in detail. I had a minute during the break. Didn't seem to think that she's saying it isn't true. She just didn't want the truth to come out. And so many of us don't want the truth to come out, not just politically here. It, just ourselves. We don't want people to know oh, really why we do what we do. We don't want people to really know our inner motivations. We want to say we follow reason all the time, 
but my most most frequently we don't. We don't follow reason. We follow emotion. We follow what we want to do, not what we should do. And true freedom is not doing what you want to do. True freedom is doing what you know you should do and having the power to do so, and that's through the power of Christ. Okay, let's go back to Tanner. Tanner, you were saying you were having a conversation with an atheist, and uh, he was saying uh, that we, we use reason to come to the conclusion that certain things are right and certain things are wrong, and you were saying, well, that's not the point. You were trying to explain or trying to get him to justify or explain why this standard of rightness actually exists. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that that's absolutely correct. I mean, if you take the textbook definition of reason, mm-hmm. uh, in, in that sense, it is to form a conclusion or judgment by thinking logically. Mm-hmm. Now, me personally, logic is the contract that we are permanently bound to within nature. You mm-hmm. cannot override it. I mean, two logically comes after one, three logically comes after two, and so forth. And what I basically taught him doing was just swapping something out so he didn't have to justify it, so that he didn't have to face the fact that God possibly existed. So he was using the very thing that God gives us, the, the tool within our minds to come to conclusions. He used that against God himself, basically. Yeah, in fact, that's the subject of the book that I wrote a, about a year and a half ago called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. He's actually stealing reason to say God doesn't exist, but reason wouldn't exist unless God existed. And he's using, if he's a materialist as an atheist, how do you even explain reason? I mean, he's trying to say that reason can explain morality. No, reason alone can't explain morality. Reason is the method by which we may discover certain things that are right and wrong. But reason can't explain why there's such a thing as rightness out there. And if we're just molecular machines, if we're just moist robots, if every thought we have is a result of the laws of physics, we shouldn't trust any of our thoughts anyway, including the thought that reason is, leads us to the truth or that, uh, that, say, torturing babies for fun is wrong. Because that's just a result of, our, uh, of the laws of physics. It's not the result of us really following the evidence where it leads. So where are you in your conversation with this guy right now? Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. And, and you know, he, he was a theist at one time. We've been friends for a good 15 years. And you know, his life has really spiraled out, out of control lately. And, and you know, we, 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 ha- we still are great friends. And, you know, I tend to not try to bring these things up. He gets very angry. But every now and again, it'll spark up and we'll, we'll engage. And th- there's really nothing that I can do. He just completely rejects God, but still, I, I, you know, I still stand my ground firmly on when he tries to bring things forth, and, you know, on, on this particular topic, I, I just told him, I said, hey, you know, uh, if you're going to tell me that reason is the tool used, well, how is it that this same reason exists in all people? We just have to basically find that one uh, piece of reason that is true. I, I mean, it's just he is going to go round and round with this, and he can't well, justify it. As soon as I back uh, him into a corner, he basically stops talking. Well, I, I think that um, what you said there, I think, is indicative of the real issue. He said, you said his life has fallen apart, and he gets angry. Uh, I, I, I don't know this guy, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, based upon what you said, that his issue is not intellectual. It's moral. He doesn't want there to be a God. Uh, You're absolutely or, right. I mean, we, we all know that, but you know, he's a great friend. He, there's, there's really nothing I, I can't force it on. <laughs> I mean, oh, of course not. Will, you, you know, no, 
No, all you can do is be a friend to him and love him. But I can almost guarantee you at some point um, in his life, there is going to be a real difficult problem. And he's not going to go to his atheist buddies for advice. He's going to go to you because you're a person of spiritual depth. Um, and yeah, he, that'll be your he, opportunity. Yeah, he, he actually has a funny uh, statement. You know, the uh, it's like the there's a song, uh, you know, the Simple Man or something like that from uh, uh, one, one of the one of the good old classic rock guys. He, you know, he yeah, said that Leonard Skinner, yeah, 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 Leonard yes. Skinner. I remind him yeah. of that guy, but he just doesn't want any part of it. He sees the good that God has done in many lives. He rejects it completely. But when, when when we start talking intellectually, you're right. He does not have an intellectual problem. He just absolutely does not want any personal relationship with God. And so the only thing he can fall back on is these uh, atheist uh, uh, tyrants in the world that really uh, are, are are really they, they really just get very angry and very outspoken. That, that's the only thing he can really cling to. Well, ask him the question: If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And see what he says. Have you ever asked him that? No, not yet. I don't. <laughs> I, I just can't see him uh, really engaging in that. He'll probably just scoff, you know, slam his beard. Well, if he scoffs, off. you got the answer then, because <laughs> because if somebody scoffs at the question, it's not an intellectual question. It's just a fair question, you know. I mean, you could ask you if atheism were true, would you become an atheist? And I would say, yeah. The problem is there'd be no way to know atheism is true because if we're just molecular machines, we can't know anything's true. But that's beside the point. The point is, are you right. willing to follow the evidence where it leads? And if you scoff at the question. Question? No. The answer is no. So uh, let me say one other thing, and then i got to move on, Tanner. It, it, it just dawned on me that when, you know, you're talking about the tools of, of logic that people are using to try and come to certain conclusions. Yeah, it is a tool. But the tool itself doesn't explain why the thing exists. I'm using my eyes right now to understand that there is a book in front of me. That's the means by which I come to know there's a book in front of me. But the eyes don't explain why the book exists. And the right. same thing is true with morality. I, I sure let's 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 grant the the assumption that you can use reason to come to the the, the truth uh, that torturing babies for fun is wrong, but that doesn't explain why there's a moral standard out there that establishes why torturing babies for fun is wrong. Just because you can know it doesn't mean it explains why it exists. But I appreciate the call. Stay with your friend and uh, continue to love him. Thanks for the call, Tanner. Let me move on to uh, Todd in Baton Rouge. Todd, you're on with Frank Turk. Go right ahead. Hey, Frank. Listen to you every Saturday, my friend. Uh, I just want to say I hear you talking about homosexuality, and um, the truth is Hebrews 13 says, that marriage is honorable and the bed is undefiled, and whoremongers and homosexuals will be judged by God. So how come they can't handle the truth? You know, we say that the truth will set them free. They're in bondage right now. I mean, why, why we have so much trouble, you know, accepting the truth? And well, anyone. Yes, thank you. Anyone who is in sin is in bondage. Even Christians who are in sin are in bondage. That's the point. It's not just homosexuals. It's all of us are in sin. Now, the only way to be free from that bondage is to have somebody else pay the price for our sins, whatever those are, and trusting in that person who is Jesus Christ for our freedom. Because God will, God pours out his wrath on Jesus rather than us at least eternally. Now, it doesn't mean we won't suffer temporal consequences for the sin, because that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. We will. You know, you, you do, you, you sin, you, you might get sick. That's, that's true. 
Uh, but the point here is, is that we're all sinners and we all need a Savior. Every single one of us. Like somebody put it this way, evangelism is just one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. We're all beggars. We're no better morally than anyone else. Oh, yeah, you could be better morally by some world standard than your neighbor, but you're still a sinner. You still need a savior. Let me uh, finish this all up with Marie in uh, Arkansas. Marie, you're on with Frank Turek. Go right ahead. Yes, hi. I was just calling about, you know, thinking about what the first caller talked about with Mm-hmm. religion, you know, and I think that's what a lot of people um, judge Christianity on, is mm-hmm. through a religious aspect or someone they know who claims to be a Christian, which I did when I was in my 20s. I thought, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, and this is how it is, and I, but I was really being my own God. I was really mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. you know... <laughs> making decisions for myself, and I hadn't right. surrendered to Christ. I hadn't surrendered to the truth. And I think right. a lot of people need to come to that to that realization, like, is it, are you making yourself who, who you think God is, you know, making it up in your mind, or are you surrendering, saying, you know what, my life is God's, and I'm moving forward from there? Because that's what gets in the way, is your, like you said, the emotion and the feelings that, you know, if you're not directing everything in, you know, view of God and God's Word. When, at, at, at what point did the light bulb go off in your mind and you go, I just need to surrender? What was it? And I only got about 30 seconds, so I'd have to be quick. Um, actually, I was at a church with my daughter and I had had a lot of scripture and, and different words given to me, and, and it mm-hmm. was personal. It was so personal. And from that point, my daughter was standing next to me, and she said, Mom, you need to go. <laughs> and so I went, I did. You know, she was five. Mm-hmm. And I went five years old. Yeah. The Holy Spirit, Holy yeah. Spirit spoke through a five-year-old, basically. Yeah. Mom, yeah. you need to go. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Marie. I appreciate the call. You're right. We all need to surrender. It's not our will, but his will. And the sooner we understand that, the sooner our lives can change for the better, and we can be better beacons for other people, better ambassadors for other people. Friends, great being with you. Again, I'll be at Ohio State this Tuesday night, Wednesday night. The details are on our website, crossexamine.org, and I'll see you next week. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.